faith sees what others can't, that the invisible shapes the visible, that all things came from the unseen, from a God who is fully in control. Faith listens intently and sets out on journeys. It crosses all kinds of terrain, through fields and mountains, across oceans and valleys, the journey revealed in fragments, coming to light in stages. Faith is willing to sacrifice what the world would hold onto and is prepared to give up hopes and dreams for what seem to be promised, all in the pursuit of God. Faith doesn't demand signs and wonders, but rests in God's providence. It may be quiet, gracious and gentle on the surface, yet it wages war in the depths. Faithfully trusts in God, not leaning on its own sight or understanding, but holds fast even in the midst of all that doesn't yet make sense. And faith sets its eyes on the future, to the greater reality that is marching forward. Faith brings joy to the Father, a life of faithfulness, full of purpose, eternally rewarded. Our new series by Faith looks at the life of Abraham and how he lived through the many unknowns, through delayed hopes and promises, mistakes and missteps, yet ultimately he held fast to the God of ages who lavished his grace on him and fulfilled his purposes through him. Okay, so the burdens of bits and bobs. I want to talk for about 20 odd minutes and then we're going to come back into a time of worship. So, like I said earlier, not having enough, it can be a problem. You may have experienced moments in your own life where you just haven't got enough. You think, how am I going to afford this? How am I going to be able to do that? You may feel it in so many ways. You may feel inadequate and not quite sure where you're going to survive or where you're going to cope or where you're going to receive from. And Martin, again, like I said, Martin spoke into that last week. And what we realize is that we have a good and generous God that loves to provide for all of our needs. We have a God who we don't have to bring our fears and anxieties before because he rose from the grave. So he's not only willing to answer our prayers, but he's able to answer them too. So we can trust in a good God and we can approach him and say, even if, even if I never receive, I have you and that is enough. Okay, so that's a little bit that we spoke through last week. But I want to, I want to just consider this week because, again, you might not be as easy at opening up to this. But there can be a problem with having too much stuff too. <laughs> too many bits and bobs can cause you big problems. They massively can. Because the more that you have, the more that you've got to worry about. The more that you start being concerned about, what am I to do with these things? What if I lose everything that I've gained? And I'll be really honest with you. When I got asked to lead the team here, I was, you know, it was a strange moment a few years ago just to be asked and... Again, you're, you're sort of, some of you will know me for a long time. I, th I can be quite immature sometimes at things, you know. I'm all right to admit that sometimes. But genuinely, there would have been people say, oh, I just don't think Ollie's up for the task of leading the team. Just, genuinely, not quite sure he's the right person to do it. You were asking some of that. How much do you think I'm asking myself whether I was able to do these things? And you look sometimes internally in it, and I'll tell you what the biggest fear was. It was. I love this church. I love leading. I know God's given me a gift of leadership. The thing I was most concerned about was losing what we already had. That's a, that's a fear, isn't it? To think, this church has built this wonderful thing. It's been part of this. What if on my watch it all falls apart? Genuinely, that was my concern. That was my biggest fear. It wasn't really a fear of, oh, what if we've got to go plant a church on the harbour? Or what if we've got to go do this? It wasn't fear of the adventure. I was fear of what we might lose. That's a genuine fear. 
to be in those moments. And it can be quite crippling and debilitating. And it can sometimes quite often say, I don't want to do it because I'm feared of the loss, feared of what might fall apart, what might not happen. What might was so good and was so created and so, so pure get ruins? What if I spoil it? What if I'm the one who, who you know, sells it all and gives up everything and we look around afterwards and go, there's nothing left? And then I, have to, I had to spend a long time, I'm so grateful for team and individuals here that would have brought words and encouragements and friendships, you know, my, with wins and relationships and just strong knowing God and family and all those things that God has put in me over many, many years. You come back to that point and you just say, Lord, but I trust you. I don't know if I'm going to do enough. I don't know if, if it's going to be right. I don't know if I've got all the capacity and ability to do these things, but I do trust you. And so I want to hold all these things loosely. I don't want to hold them too tightly because you gave it all in the first place and I can trust you all with it completely. And what does it do? Oh man, it just freeze your shoulders up and you feel like I can breathe and you feel less choked by the circumstances and situations you find yourself in. And this is a bit like what happens to Abraham. So Abraham starts this little journey. Don't know, Rory, if you've got this little slide here, just of the picture of there. There you go. So this is the little journey they took themselves on. You know, they come out of Mesopotamia and they take that job. And Martin at the beginning said he came with lots and lots of stuff. And he ended up into the land that God had called him to. But then famine hits. And he finds out, have I got enough stuff? So where does he go? He heads down into Egypt. Because he thinks, well, if I arrive there, and then he lies about his wife, and he says it's his sister, and all those, all those little missteps of faith, right at the beginning of Abraham's own journey, but then what does God do? God blesses him, and you'll notice as we come out of that little end of chapter 12, Abraham leaves with more than he went into Egypt with. He's been blessed again by God. God's got this incredible thing of just taking those that are repentant and disciples of him and follow and trust him just to be continuously kind towards. We get so much more than we could ever deserve. And so he leaves again with a lot of lot of wealth and cattle and people and they all travel with him. And it's like his stuff has just increased. He's got even more bits and bobs than they'll be worried about. And he's back in the land that he was in before. And I bet he's thinking, what if famine hits again? What if I don't know what to do with all this stuff? And actually what you'll notice is there's now this little bit of conflict that happens because just like a lottery winner that ends up with a massive lottery, all of a sudden, and you've got loads of finances and you bought the car, all of a sudden all that stuff brings a lot of burdens that come with it as well. You know, in some ways you've heard it said, haven't you? I wish I never won that amount of money. <laughs> I wish it had never happened. Now you might think, well, no, I'll take it, thanks. You know, I, I don't mind that little risk or burden if it comes up. But there will be many who will have said, I wish it never happened. I wish I never got famous. I wish I never got that promotion. I wish I never ended up with that because it was a burden that I didn't know how to hold on to. But there's some lessons in Abraham's life in how we can actually hold on to the things that we've got. So chapter 13, Abraham or Abraham went up from Egypt, the Negev. He, his wife, who he's now happy to call his wife again, not his sister anymore. And all he had, and Lot with him. If you weren't here last week, that'll sound really weird. Read the Bible yourself. Um, it's chapter 12 of Genesis. You can read it. And Lot with him. So we're going to find out about his character, Lot. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been. So he's back where he started with more stuff than he had before to the site where he had built the altar. 
And Abraham calls on the name of the Lord there. Lesson one, call on the name of the Lord. It's the first time Abraham does it. He actually involves God in what he's doing. It's not just that God speaks to him and he responds. It's now in this moment when he calls out to God. You'll find that in your own walk as a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes you'll hear what God's saying to you, but sometimes you'll be asked and you'll need to call out on the name of the Lord. Petition him in prayer. Call out to him because he loves to answer us. Now, Lot, who was traveling with Abraham, he also had flocks, herds and tents, but the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land also. So Abraham said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Now, again, I don't know the intonation of the voice here. It could say, separate from me, get lost. I don't know if he said it in an aggressive, get out of here. What I know of Abraham though, is I don't think that is how he said it. When I look at the rest of it, I think he probably said, separate, it's time to go. If you go left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden and the land of Egypt. So it reminds him of Eden, reminds him of Egypt, what it was like where plenty was. What do you think Lot's going to choose? Have a guess. Uh, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll get onto that at some point in brackets. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Surprise, surprise. And then Lot journeyed eastwards and they separated from each other. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord's. And after Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abraham, look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up, walk around the lands through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent. He went to live near the oaks of Mamre of Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. Amazing, eh? Amazing little story and encounter. And there's some lessons that we can learn about how to deal with conflict. That's his family conflict as well. Now, this is his nephew that he's arguing with. How to deal with family conflicts. How to deal graciously in that situation as well how to provide out of grace, choice and freedom and say, I'll be content with what I get, you choose. That's quite a disarming strategy. It turns the dial down sometimes, doesn't it? You know, I don't know, again, I just, I got drawn to this the other day. I know, I, I, it might be for someone in the room and I, I don't mean it to try and be pointed. I just think maybe the Holy Spirit just wants to release some people from it. 
I think sometimes people would have had problems with this with inheritance from their, their family. I just think there are. There's people in this room who you're angry or disappointed in what you are left as your inheritance. And I felt really provoked by God just to say, he just wants to free you from that because that's eating you up. Why did you not get that? Why did that get left to that person? Why didn't you get your share? Why weren't you given what you're entitled to? I just think as we continue listening, God might just be wanting to set you free a bit this morning from that personal eating thing up inside your own soul. And actually he wants to give you freedom through learning a bit of how Abraham approached a situation. So, and I, this is why I love church. So Ian Goldsmith pings me messages sometimes and he'll say, oh, I've been reading this. And if you go on our church message boards, Ian will sometimes post, I've just been reading the scriptures and felt drawn towards this. And say about three weeks ago, I didn't know what we were about to preach on, just pings me a message about Genesis 13. I'm like, hey, I'll take that. <laughs> and so, you know, this is, this is a little honour to him, but you'll notice as well, I, I said something that aren't, Ian's words, they're mine. So see if you can guess which bit was mine and <laughs> you'll probably find it out. Um, so in Genesis 13, if we pop it out there, in Genesis 13, verse two, where we read, Abraham was very rich, kavod. Again, I don't know if I've pronounced that right, but Hebrew words. This word usually means heavy. But in Genesis 13, two, and in other places, it is translated as rich. So we read it as rich this morning. Or in other places, in the context of God's glory. So... Where it reads, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold, it could read, Abraham was heavy in possessions. I said, burden with bits and bobs. That's how I went there. They're my words, not Ian's. If we just turn over, the wealth he acquired in Egypt could be seen as a weight then, not something conducive to a nomadic lifestyle. So he lived in tents. If you're a wanderer, if you're a nomad... If you're a sojourner, that's a Bible word. If you're a traveller, if you travel around and you're used to living in a tent, having loads of stuff doesn't massively help you. It's even more stuff you've got to lug around. You want to be lightweight, quick, tent goes up quickly. So actually, maybe it wasn't a particular blessing to him. Maybe it was sometimes a bit of a burden. Could this imply then that with great riches that can bring great honour and glory comes also a burden and a responsibility? especially if we, called like Abraham, was to live a nomadic lifestyle following God. That was brilliant. Ian's just so grateful for that. It's true. I'm an exile. I'm a wanderer. I'm waiting for one day when my tent will be pitched in eternal glory. Or I'm going to get to live in the city of God. Eastbourne is not really my home. <laughs> It's only a place that my tent currently dwells at this time because I'm a follower of Jesus. We are all exiles in this world. This world is not our home. Yes, we should care for it. Yes, we should love it. We shouldn't just chuck our rubbish outside the tent. We should leave it as we found it. Like the good countryside code says, shut the gates behind you. Take your poo bags home. We should do all those things, but we must not forget this isn't really our eternal dwelling place. We're exiles, we're followers of Jesus. We have an eternal home where no rust or moth can ever ruin or destroy. We have an eternal dwelling place, secure for all eternity with God himself. That is our wonderful future. We could be burdened by our stuff in this life to forget eternity. 
And sometimes I don't actually think we treat the stuff that we've got in light of eternity. Sometimes we get so caught up by the burden and pressure of today and tomorrow that we forget what the future may bring. Now that challenged us a little bit. So how does Abraham deal with this problem? He has a problem. He has too much stuff. Him and Lot are saying there isn't enough, basically there's not enough grass to feed all of our cattle on. My shepherds want to take all the cattle onto that bit and your shepherds want to go there as well and there's not enough room for the two of us, sunshine. You know, get out of town. This town's not big enough for the both of us. Is that a phrase? I don't know, it just jumps in my head. But um, yeah, that's, that's their situation. That's what they're facing. So what does Abraham do? Grace. You choose. I'll be content with what I get. Now you might think, well, don't be a walkover. You know, it's your right. Fight for what's right. Have it. Again, if I look at the cold context of Abraham's life, I don't think he was just a pushover and a walkover. But I do think he knew in this moment he needed to let go. He needed to not say, but I'm getting this, you're getting that. So what does he say? He says, you choose. Lot, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You take the best. Whatever you want, you can have it. Because when we're light with our stuff, when we hold it loosely, when we give it away, when we give it back to God, who, let's be honest, he could say to us, it's all mine anyway. Don't know what you're arguing about. You're falling out of each other, forgetting that actually I'm the one who owns the world and everything in it. It's all my stuff, really. I freely gave it to you in the first place. What have you got that you didn't already receive? Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What does it do? It breaks the power our possessions have over us. And then what even happens in the story anyway? God takes him up on a hill. He says, you know, you gave it all to Lot. Look north, look south, look east, look west. It's all yours anyway. <laughs> oh, you gave it all to Lot, did you? It's all mine and it's all yours. You can freely let go because we're not, we're not in this competitive place of, but I should get, again, these are just not the waters that we swim in in this world. We're not taught that from a young age. We're taught to look after our own stuff continuously. But God, by faith, wants to free us up from it. I love sometimes, do you ever do Google searches of pictures in the Bible? My Bible doesn't have any pictures in it. When I was a kid, I used to love flicking through the illustrations and pictures. You realise, I think I've said before, the pictures often are more reflective of the artist than they are of the actual accuracy of what it looks like. So this is a little picture. I'm not quite sure if that's what the scene looked like. But this is Lot. Lot's looking out. And what I just want to say to you, so they're on high rocky grounds where it's pretty hard to raise cattle and look after. And he gets to look across and he can see the Jordan Valley, the river running through it, nice lush grass. And what does he say? I'll pick the best spot, thanks. And then this is just, this is a really an interesting sub point that's in there. He says that he heads east. In Genesis already, we've had three examples of when people headed east. They headed east out of the garden. They headed east when they were trying to build the Tower of Babylon. They headed east when they separated from God's people, when they're trying to make a name for themselves. Heading east has got this little connotation. So it's like Genesis 3.24, if you're scribbling notes, you can read it yourself. Genesis 4, verse 16, and Genesis 11, verse 2. They all say, and they headed east, and that was synonymous with turning away from God. It was all synonymous with almost saying, right, well, I know that God, you're there, but I'm going to go this way. I'm going to head east. 
away from you, away from what you've called me to. So again, I'm not really surprised that the direction that Lot travels is heading east. And again, it's not that cities are bad, but he's headed towards the cities and the people and the stuff and the shining lights and the money and the opportunities. He's seen Vegas and thought, that's where I'm going. <laughs> Get me to Vegas, please. And he heads there. And as he travels down, so Roy, you got that next little bit. This is what it looks like. This is where he's headed down to. He's headed into this Jordan Valley. And the next part of the chapter, and again, I'd encourage you maybe read this in your groups. What you'll find is that when you head to the place where all the good stuff is, you're not the only one that's there. There's four other Asian kings, kings of Asia, that all like the look of this Jordan Valley as well. They come down into the Jordan Valley and say, we quite like putting our herds there. So he may have left conflict with Abraham, but now he's walked into conflict with these other kings. And Lot ends up in a battle and in a fight that he can't win. He gets taken into captivity. And what would you do if you're Abraham? You'd say, unlucky, mate. <laughs> you picked it. <laughs> you decided to go down there. I gave you a choice. You went down into the valley. It's all your fault. That'll teach you. That's a bad phrase, isn't it? I hate that when someone says, that'll learn you, won't it? Shouldn't have done it. Oh man, it's like red rag to a ball. Yes, thank you. I know I was stupid. Don't need you to remind me. But they've headed there. They've ended up in the situation. And what does Abraham do? He bails him out. He goes down and he rescues his nephew from a situation that he's got himself into. Abraham, by faith, follows God and God credits it to him as righteousness and says to him, you see the dust in the earth, your inheritance, your descendants are going to be even greater than the dust on the earth. What I've got for you is even more than you would have ever got if you went down into the Jordan Valley yourself. You think the riches are in the Jordan Valley. I've got it all and I want to freely share it all with you. Oh man, the gospel is the best news ever. <laughs> it's the best. Where else do you get stories like that? Where else do you encounter a God like that? I don't meet a God like that anywhere else, yet the God of the Bible. Proverbs 5, 15, verse 16 says this. And I love a little proverb. They just punch you on the nose sometimes, don't they? That's what, that's what the book's about. It's just full of little punchy phrases. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. Oh, Maybe sometimes you'll think, I wish I had great treasure. Better to have a little bit and fear God than to have loads of stuff and be in turmoil with everyone or turmoil with yourself. It's the trappings of this world. But God's word gives us an answer to it. And we're just going to land in this. And what we're going to do is we're just going to read from Philippians 2. I'd just love to just invite the band to come and join us. We've got a whole half an hour now just to be able to worship and there'll be words and prophetic encouragements and things that are together but I'm just going to read this and then as I finish reading it this is again why we wanted to bring back this habit and I just want to thank you for the way you've responded in our offerings recently we've just been taking offerings on a Sunday morning so the welcome team have just been passing around offerings and people regularly give financially into the life of this church anyway that's how the whole thing works there's no big American sponsor that pays for everything there's no sugar daddy that pays for it all and looks after it it happens because faithful men and women, the people of God, regularly give into all that we do here. And as a result, 
We've been blessed to grow as a community and to have a kids work and a youth work and people employed here to be able to run groups and courses and welcome outsiders. And praise God, I'm hoping that we're going to have resources to be able to plant churches and to be able to start evening meetings and to be able to continue resourcing what we're doing in the heart of the town centre and partner with things overseas that God's doing. But all those resources come from his people. They all are released by faithful men and women into the life of church. It's just been wonderful in our worship for people just to be able to give regularly. And again, I say, we're so sorry for not regularly doing it on worship. So we'll have an opportunity to be able to take our offerings in this moment. But actually, as we're doing so, this is where really the rubber hits the road. It's letting go of our stuff. It's what we're doing. It'd be so easy to be burdened each month burdened with the things that we receive. And so to be able to freely give it to God once again, and we do it in reflection of not Abraham really. Abraham's just a shadow. Abraham's just a pointer. He's just a forerunner of the great you know, initiator of our faith, the great man of faith that we really worship. So we're gonna read these verses from Philippians 2 and they're all about Jesus. Jesus is the true Abraham of faith. Jesus is the true one who freely says, you choose. He's the the one who truly comes and rescues us when we've been taken into captivity. Jesus is the true fulfillment of all of these other characters of the story. They all find their home and place in him. And what do we see about Jesus's humility and grace with his stuff? What does Jesus do with what he has? He doesn't have great wealth in this life. He's a poor carpenter's son. He's just a poor boy from nowhere. No one interested. And yet actually he has everything because he's the son of God. And what does he do with it? He freely gives. So just I start to read Philippians 2. I don't know if the, if the welcome team just want to start passing around the offering buckets. Then we'll start to sing as we're there. But I'm just going to read this. This is Philippians 2. It's just a wonderful part of scripture. It says... If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself, He assumed the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, you gave it all on our behalf. You came to serve before you were ever served. You came to freely give of yourself for us and God has given you the name that is above every name 
that every tribe and tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord's. You are the Lord of all the earth. It all belongs to you. You are the great inheritance that we get to enjoy for all eternity. Jesus, we follow your example of humility as we love to freely give all that we have in order to worship you, the living God. Spirit of God, be upon us. Cause our worship to please you and to magnify your name. Amen. Amen. When we stand together, I start to sing.